As we uh, resume our series, Future or Fairy Tale, and we are looking at what the Bible teaches about the afterlife, what, what comes after this life. And we're, we're going again to 1 Thessalonians uh, and looking at this one verse that we've looked at several times already because it's just so densely packed with important truth. And there's at least one more important truth here that needs to be unpacked. And uh, it's one of those truths that if we were honest, uh, we'd probably prefer not to think about because uh, it just, it, it doesn't, it's not particularly pleasant. But to avoid it would be both unloving and irresponsible. So we need to look at it. The verse is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. We're going to start in the middle of verse 9. Uh, just see if you can spot the truth that we need to know about but might prefer not to. So Paul, the apostle, writing to some believers in Jesus in the town of Thessalonica, says this, starting in the middle of verse 9, You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So you, do you see that unpleasant word, wrath, there? God's wrath is a topic we might prefer to just shy away from. Um, but if we do that, uh, the irony is we end up distorting the good news that we like to think about, the gospel, the good news of Jesus that he commanded us to share with the whole world. Uh, notice it says Jesus rescues us or delivers us or rescues us or saves us from the wrath to come. Well, that's incredibly good news. That is amazingly good news. However, if you don't know what the wrath to come is, if you have no idea what that means, then that good news that Jesus delivers us from it isn't going to sound all that good. It's not going to feel all that good. I'll give you a for instance. Uh, let's say you believe yourself to be in fairly good health. And then you go, you know, it's the thing to do, annual checkup. You go to the doctor, and the doctor examines you and says, you're in good health. Well, that'll be pleasant news. But it won't be particularly impressive to you because that's what you already believed. You believed you were in good health. He told you you were in good health, and yeah, that's nice. Okay, but imagine a different scenario. Imagine, imagine you've been fighting a life-threatening disease for several years. And you go to the doctor for a checkup, and you're actually expecting him to give you bad news. And then he says to you, you're in good health. The treatment worked. You're healthy now. How would that feel? See, that'd feel amazing. That would be great news. You, you'd, you might even burst into tears of joy because you thought you were going to get bad news and you didn't. And you'd want to tell everybody. The good news that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come should feel like that. 
That's, that's the kind of impact it should have on us. But that's only going to happen if we have at least some understanding of what that wrath to come actually is. So what is it? Well, maybe the place to start is to uh, understand what it isn't, okay? God's wrath is not God having a temper tantrum. There, there seems to be this widespread idea. It was, it was interesting. I, wa- I was watching an interview between a popular comedian and a talk show host, and, and the way they were talking about being dads, uh, and one of them said, well, we have to be you know, these grumpy, irritable fathers so that people can grow up knowing what God is like. And there's this, this widespread notion that God is like this angry, irritable father with a really short fuse. And he's perpetually ticked off. And he's just watching and waiting, eager to just let somebody have it when they step out of line. And then that's his wrath. Would it surprise you to know that the Bible actually teaches the exact opposite about God? Uh, Listen to what God is really like, okay? And this is such a significant passage. This is one of the most significant places in all of the Bible because this is God disclosing what he's really like. Uh, This is an encounter that Moses had with God on Mount Sinai. And Moses is just caught up in the moment and he says, show me your glory. And this is God revealing his the heart of who he is to Moses and to all of us. He says, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God's heart is not to smash sinners, but to mercifully restore them. But that does not mean that God is soft on sin and won't judge it. See, we, we, we just are so prone to go from one error to the other. So we go from the error that God's just this angry tyrant ready to smash everybody, and then we flip over to the other error and says, well, then he doesn't care about sin. He's soft on sin. He won't judge. No, no, no. In fact, look at the next part. Exodus 34, verse 7. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Which means this. Those who refuse to turn from their sin and receive God's mercy and grace will not escape his justice. And that's that's where his wrath comes in. God's wrath is his uncompromising unwavering hostility toward evil. God hates evil. He hates evil more than you do. And wrath is his refusal to let evil have the last word. 
Evil will not have the last word. God will. He must destroy it. So this will sound kind of non-intuitive, but wrath is actually closely connected to love. Think about it. If you genuinely love somebody, I mean, if you genuinely love somebody, then you are going to hate and oppose whatever would ruin them and destroy them. You will hate that. Uh, (laughs) Have you ever witnessed a loving mother turn into what we call a mama bear when her beloved child is threatened? I mean, it happens to dads too, but with dads, the contrast is often not as great. With, with a mom, you know, this gentle, kind, sweet mom goes full mama bear when her child is threatened. Wrath is the backside of love. And because God is abounding in love and abounding in faithfulness, he is absolutely opposed to evil and will not allow evil ultimately to prevail. He won't. He will not. Now that's both really good news and really bad news. Uh, The other night, Karen and I were uh, walking down at the Columbia River waterfront and we encountered a, a young man from Iran who turned out to be very talkative. And so we engaged in conversation Actually, it was mostly us listening and him talking at first. And uh, he basically told us his life story, which was pretty much awful. He's experienced a lot of mistreatment from people. And we were able to share with him that we are believers in Jesus. And he's very intrigued by that. And at some point, he basically asked this question. He said, if Jesus... Basically, if Jesus is who you say he is, and if he can right every wrong, why doesn't he? And we said, he will. He will when the time is right. No evil will be overlooked. No wrong will be swept under the carpet. No no wrong will be ignored which is good news. It's good news because there's a lot of evil in our world and we long for God to deal with it. And he will. But I could tell that this answer was frustrating to this man uh, because he wants all evil fixed right now. Well, so do I. And so do you. But see, the good news that God will eliminate all evil, it's, it's, it's not just good news. It's also very bad news because it's not just that there's a lot of evil out there in the world. There's a lot of evil in us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said, the line that divides good and evil runs through every human heart. He was expressing a biblical truth. If God is going to be consistent, and he will, he has to deal with evil wherever he finds it. That's his justice. And if you've ever wondered, and many people do, 
How could a God of love, how could a God of love send anyone to hell? Consider a different question. How could a God of justice let anybody into heaven? How can he let the guilty off the hook? How can he do that? How can he pretend that evil, or at least some evil, doesn't matter? How can he overlook injustice and cruelty? He can't, and he won't. See, we hate the evil that other people do, but we want God to make an exception in our case. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. If God is truly good, there are no exceptions. All evil must be judged. And according to God's word, all. That's the biggest little word in the Bible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All stand condemned. I know... Many, including me, struggle with the justice of hell because it feels to us like judicial overkill. That is a serious misunderstanding, and I actually hope to address that next time. But for now, we just need to understand this. Because God's, God's word is clear on this. Jesus is clear on this. Jesus talked more about hell. He taught more about hell than all of the other biblical writers combined. Loving Jesus did. The, the biblical message is unmistakable. Everyone who sins is liable to God's wrath. Everyone who sins is liable to God's wrath. And if you don't know if you don't believe that that's true of you, then the message of Jesus will never seem like really good news to you. So, contrary to our expectations, maybe, it's actually good for us to understand and to think about the coming wrath. And so, to encourage us to sort of overcome any aversion we might have to this topic, I'm going to highlight three ways that right thinking about wrath will actually help you. How right thinking about wrath helps you. First, it helps you depend on your deliverer. Right thinking about wrath will help you depend more, better on your deliverer. So the Bible's very clear that what connects us to this salvation that Jesus obtained for us through his death and resurrection, uh, his death on the cross and his resurrection, what connects us to that salvation in Christ is faith. Faith is the channel. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Notice, for by grace you have been saved. Grace means gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is the channel through which God's salvation comes to us in Christ, okay? And he says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Now, notice the contrast, okay? Faith is contrasted with 
your own doing, faith is contrasted with works. And that helps us understand what faith is. Faith is not depending on what you can accomplish, but depending instead on what Jesus accomplishes for you. Depending, relying, not relying on your achievements, relying on his. Depending on him, the deliverer. Okay, well, there's, there's kind of a mistaking tendency because we believe that when Jesus saves somebody, bam, they're saved. They can't lose it. So we can kind of misunderstand and think that faith is something that, you know, it's a past thing, it's not a present thing. That's not true. That's not biblical. Faith begins, there's a time it begins, but it doesn't end. It continues if it's real. There's a continual depending. There's a continual relying. Notice it says Jesus delivers us from the wrath of God. That word delivers is present tense. And I think that helps us understand that we need his deliverance all the time. We keep needing his deliverance. Think about it this way. If Jesus' death on the cross, if that only takes care of the sins that are in our past at the moment we put our trust in him, you know, as if, if Jesus says, okay, what I did on the cross from this point backwards takes care of all your past, but from this point on, you're on your own, baby. We'd still be condemned. We would still be condemned because we still sin. The battle with sin is ongoing. And so our need to depend on Jesus to keep on delivering us is ongoing. Past, present, and future. It's not just sin's penalty that we need to be saved from. Not just the penalty of sin. We need to be saved from the power of sin. We need to be saved from the presence of sin. And until sin is finally gone, until it's completely eradicated, we need to keep on depending on our deliverer. And so when you understand that God's wrath is his uncompromising hatred of all evil. Not just the evils we committed in the past, but the evils we commit now and in the future. His uncompromising hatred of sin, when you realize that, it helps you understand you need Jesus to keep delivering you. Today. Right now. After church. Tomorrow. All week. And every day to come until he returns and transforms us and transforms our world and eradicates all sin forever. Understanding God's wrath helps you keep depending on your deliverer. Second, it helps you fight against sin. It helps you fight against sin. Say, weren't you just saying that? Yeah, I was. But <laughs> this is a different way of saying it, and it's important. Because I don't want us to misunderstand and think that depending on our deliverer is just this passive thing. You know, as if because Jesus delivers me and I don't deliver myself, I can just sort of check out. I can just go all passive and not be involved in the fight. No, no, no. To the contrary. The fact that Jesus delivers us gives us the ability to fight. And to win. Using 
the resources he provides. That's, he's the deliverer. We use the resources he provides to fight sin, the resources of his word, the resource of prayer, the resource of God's people encouraging. And it's not unusual to run into Christians who aren't really using the resources God provides. They're not actively depending on him. They're not fighting the fight. And it's not unusual to run into somebody who says, well, I don't really need to belong to a church. I belong to Jesus. That's nuts. That's crazy. God's people are one of the resources Jesus gives us to fight the battle against sin. So if, if, you're, not, if you're not actively fighting, you're not depending on him. If you're not using the resources he provides, you're not depending on him. If you don't read his word so that you know the difference between what's truth and what's a lie, if you don't pray, if you don't pray and ask for his spirit's help, if you're not sharing your struggles with some Christian friends who will help you, what that tells me is that you're not taking sin very seriously. And if you're not taking sin very seriously, that suggests you're not taking God's wrath very seriously, his uncompromising hatred of evil. See, there's this faulty logic. Let me, let me try to explain this. You may have heard this. You may have thought it. I know I have. This is bad. Okay? What I'm about to tell you is bad. Don't anybody misunderstand. Here's the faulty logic. If Jesus saves me from the wrath to come, then I can sin and get away with it. I don't have to fight sin. I don't have to confront the evil in my heart. After all, it says right in the Bible, in fact, right in 1 Thessalonians, okay, chapter 5, verse 9. We haven't got there yet, but look what it says. God has not destined us, believers in Jesus, for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well, if God has not destined me for wrath, then Jesus is my get-out-of-jail-free card. I can sin without penalty. That's faulty logic. Let's just go and look at 1 Thessalonians 5.9 in its context and see what it's really saying. Let's start at verse 5. For you, okay, Paul's writing to genuine believers in Jesus. These are people who have genuine faith in Christ. They're not just, you know, professing it. They believe in Christ. Notice what he says. For you are all children of light, children of the day. Okay, notice. Jesus changes not just our destiny, he changes our identity. You see this? We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Now, Paul's going to use these metaphors of night and darkness and then drunkenness and sleeping. These are all metaphors to talk about how you live when you don't know God. But the contrast is... We're not of the night, we're not of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What's he saying? He's saying don't live like people who don't know God. 
Because you're different now. You have a new identity in Jesus. Live it out. Live lives of faith. Live lives of love. Sobriety. Now we get to verse 9. For, because, in other words, live this way. Live lives of light and love and faith because God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the logic? It's exactly the opposite. He's not saying, he's saying, live out your identity because God has not destined us for wrath. Being delivered from God's wrath is not permission to sin. It's a powerful reason not to sin. If, think about it this way. If you've been delivered, if you have been rescued from the worst possible fate you can imagine wrath does it make any sense to do the very things that gave you that fate in the first place how could you possibly think it's okay to do the very things that condemned you to that fate it makes no sense Jesus is not interested in simply saving us from the consequences of sin. He is determined to save us from sin, period. Honestly, saying, and, and I'm, I'm confessing here, there have been times when I've thought like this, but say, saying, because Jesus saves me from the wrath of God, I can sin and get away with it, you know what that's like? That's like saying, because I have good medical insurance, I can eat rat poison and get away with it. Because <laughs> I can just take myself on down to the emergency room and they can pump my stomach. And they can pump me full of antidote. No sane person thinks like that who wants to be healthy. And no sane Christian who understands that God's wrath is real, thinks that sin is not really a problem as long as you can get away with it. If you understand God's wrath, it helps you fight against sin. One more. Right thinking about wrath helps you engage with our mission. Helps you engage with our mission. The more you genuinely believe that God's wrath is real, and that it is coming, and that all sinners are liable to God's wrath, and that Jesus alone rescues people from this wrath to come through faith in him, the more you genuinely believe that, the more compelled you will feel to engage in the mission he gave us to take his good news to the whole world. What do I mean by engage? What does engaging in the mission look like? It looks like praying, going, and sending. Praying, going, and sending. Notice I didn't say praying or going or sending. It looks like praying and going and sending. Let me unpack those one at a time, praying. 
When we engage, when we engage with the mission, we pray because we know that only God can change hearts. And we get a glimpse of this in the book of Acts. You you can see this in a lot of places, but in in the book of Acts, uh, there's a time when Paul has gone to uh, this town called Philippi. It's his first time there, first time these people have heard the good news of Jesus. And in the crowd, there's a lady named Lydia, and it says this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And Paul himself, in the book of Romans, He's talking about his unbelieving countrymen, his fellow Jews who were not yet putting their faith in their Messiah. And Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So the more you want people to be saved from the wrath to come, the more you will pray. Now I've put a a resource on your note sheet uh, from the Joshua Project, joshuaproject.net. The Joshua Project, in fact, periodically we share an unreached people group presentation. The Joshua Project's all about identifying peoples throughout the world who don't yet have, you know, the, the gospel in their culture in a significant way. And you can go to joshuaproject.net and you can get an app and, uh, or you can sign up for their email and every day you will be given an unreached people group that you can pray for. And you don't have to spend all day doing it. You can pray in a few minutes. But if we, if we really want people to be rescued from God's wrath, we will pray. Going. Going. When we engage with the mission, we go. Because every one of us knows people who don't yet know Jesus. And so, someone who does know Jesus needs to go and tell them. And it's not a matter of if we should go. Sometimes we've misunderstood that. It's like, well, missionaries, yeah, they go, but I don't have to go. I'm not called to missions. No, we all go. Because we all know people who need Jesus. Jesus' command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that's still in effect. That's still in effect. He said until the end of the age. That hasn't happened yet. So we go. And then we send. When we engage with the mission, we send because there are people in places and cultures who need the gospel, and God has given us the resources to get the gospel to them. And so we sent. Most of us, uh, most, many of us, be careful, I don't know how much people have, but most of us, many of us, have more money than we absolutely need to survive, don't we? You have more than you absolutely need to just eat and have shelter. Okay, why is that? Have you ever wondered? Why is it I've got more than I need and other people don't have that? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 9, 8, which is all about the whole context in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. It's all about money. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's talking about God giving you more than you need so that always having all sufficiency in everything, having your needs met, you may have an abundance for, for what? 
for every good work. So when God graces you with abundance, more than you need, it's not so you can just keep lavishing yourself with luxury. It's so you can do good deeds with it. And of all the good deeds you can do, there's none better than sending the gospel to people who don't have it. And that's why we as a church do Operation Christmas Child. That's why we partner with people like Jonathan and Heidi Bamford, who were here last week. That's why we're partnering with Brad and Sarah Herbst, who are going to Madrid. We're sending, we're helping send them as a church. And so when you give to the church, you're helping send them. Some of that goes to them. But you know what? You can also help send them personally. And that's a lot of fun. Brad and Sarah, for example, they're raising support to go to one of the most underreached people groups on the planet, North Africans, who are immigrating, emigrating to Spain. And now there's this amazing opportunity. It's one of the most strategic opportunities I've heard about to share the gospel with these people who've not heard it before. You could help them get there. They're trying to get there by, you know, sometime this summer. And so there's a, a website I've put, another resource on your sheet, and you could go and you could help send them. That's just one idea. It's not the only. There's a lot of ways you can help send. And I, and I want you to understand that when, when we see this appeal to give of, you know, from our abundance to send, to engage in the mission, this is not an appeal, you know, to deprive yourself. It really isn't. This is an appeal to joy. Because if you think about it, and you, and you all know this is true, if you spend all of your abundance on yourself, it still won't satisfy you. It doesn't satisfy. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know what the word blessed means? It means happy. It doesn't mean noble, sacrificial, religious. It's more religious to give than to receive. Well, maybe it is, but that's not what Jesus said. He said it's a happier thing to give than to receive. Jesus has great joy he wants you to experience. There are these massive needs, and we can help meet them. We can lay up treasure forever by investing it in his mission of delivering people from the wrath to come. It's amazing. So engage. Let this sobering truth of God's coming wrath, let that move you to engage so people can know Jesus, the one and only one who delivers from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. And let me give you just a quiet moment to do business with God. Maybe you're here today and you didn't know you were liable to the wrath of God for your sin. And you have never yet put your trust in Jesus to deliver you from that coming wrath. Today would be a great day to do that. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, his name is Jesus, will be saved. If you call on him in faith and say, Lord... I know, 
I deserve your judgment, but I want your grace and mercy. So I'm willing. I want to turn to you, and I want to receive your forgiveness and your indwelling presence in my life. Please make it true for me. He will answer that prayer. Or if today you're realizing you're not really fighting the battle, you're not engaged in the mission, and you want to be, and this is encouraging you to do that, then just tell God that and ask for his help. Let's just pray right now. Father, thank you um, that you are merciful and gracious and slow to anger. Lord, I know in my impatience, I wish you would hurry up and bring your judgment, but your word says you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should turn. And so you're patient. And Lord, let us redeem the time and engage in the mission you've given us because your wrath is real. And may we share the good news of our deliverer. Help us, help us live as children of light. Help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.